Well, church family, good to be back with you. I trust uh, this week was uh, a good week. We celebrated the 4th of July last week. Priscilla and I were in Boston. And uh, I have a nephew who, KU, it's hard for me to say that, but a KU graduate, very involved in the navigators at KU, and uh, then went on to Gordon-Conwell Seminary in Boston and got a great education. He's pastoring up in New Hampshire at Dartmouth, uh, where Dartmouth University in the Ivy League is. And he met a dear partner, and we got to see two Christian families on the East Coast celebrate life in Christ, and uh, just... It was a great, it was a bit of a vacation. We went to uh, the game at Fenway, which is a little different than Royal Stadium. If any of you have been at other ballparks, I went, I know that ballpark a little bit, but it's sure different there, and uh, it was just a break. But after the break, we got right back home, and uh, guess what? Four grandkids show up at my house, and that's why I'm batching today. Priscilla's not with me. Uh, we've had four grandchildren since Wednesday, and guess they start at six, and they shut her down about nine. <laughs> this grandpa just isn't in keeping up with the pace. So, guess what? It's good to see the little one here, but I want you to know life comes with those. <laughs> and uh, so, good to be back with you today. This morning, we're going to go back to our passage in Ephesians. We're talking about those rocket verbs. And two weeks ago, I shared with you that first one, that our God is a blesser. From eternity to, I mean, from, for eternity, that is his character, is he wants to give. He wants to bless us. And so, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read together. I, no, no, we're not. I'm going to read and you're going to listen I hope together, to God's Word, starting in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. So if you would stand, please, in honor of His Word, and let's just hear this longest sentence in the New Testament where Paul, just his heart bubbles out, bubbles up what he believes about the Father. So here's what he writes to us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He's blessed us in the Beloved. In Him... We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your purposes are to bring glory to yourself. And Father, this morning as we, your people, have gathered together here, I pray that your spirit would have unusual freedom to speak to us out of your word. And Lord, help us understand your heart and how that impacts us and how we live different because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. You all may be seated. Well, we're dealing with rocket verbs, and I've already said the first one was blessed. And so today, we want to look at this word chosen. God is a blesser who chooses. That's his work, not ours. Now, one of the things that I enjoy about life is story. Understanding, hearing, discovering just people's story. And I'll bet all of us in this room, if I could just get a cup of coffee or a glass of tea or a frappuccino or whatever it is that you enjoy, maybe a a Coke or an iced tea, and just sit down and listen to your story, I'll bet I would hear a place where you felt not chosen. It's common in all of us. For me, I'll tell you a big one. I'm going to tell you a couple of them. First one. I'm a sophomore in Little Hoxie High School up there in northwest Kansas. And the big deal for the juniors and seniors in high school, I don't have to tell you what that is. The big deal is the junior-senior prom. And the sophomore class, and we were about 35 or 40 of us, uh, they get the juniors, and I think that maybe, I don't know which one, juniors or seniors, somebody picked, okay? Somebody's doing the choosing. And it was a big, big deal if you got picked to be a server. Well, I was having a pretty rough year my sophomore year of high school, and I didn't get picked. And I want you to know I I can still remember what that, that feeling is where you're not chosen. Another time, I'm in Africa. I've got a pretty serious responsibility working with Uh, All the missionaries in eastern and Africa, we're up in Sudan, we're in Eritrea, which is a new part of Ethiopia, trying to get work among the Somali Muslims. And it was a a serious job. It put me on the road a lot. I was up in some pretty difficult parts of Africa where life's hard and we're trying to get the gospel among Muslim people. Well, I come into my boss's office, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but I just saw a piece of paper there on the desk, and I shouldn't have looked at it. It had done my heart good not to know what was on the piece of paper. But what was on the piece of paper that John had just left on the desk was emerging leaders. And guess what? I knew every one of them. I worked with every one of those guys and names and some of the women in our group because there was about 500 of us. And you know what I did? I looked for my name. My name wasn't on that list. And I tell you what, the evil one, he got, a, he got a corner in my head, and he began to say, John, you're not wanted. John, you're not this. You're not chosen. Now, where I want to go today is to tell you that there is an evil one who wants to deceive. Because right here in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 4, listen to where it's, what Paul says. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. God chooses you. It starts, first of all, this is the initial blessing. We have verse 3 where he says, you know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And now look at those first two words that mean this is the first one, even as. Church family, I want you to know that God's heart is first of all very, very specific in seeking you out. He knows you. Every one of us in this room, he knows who we are. And he knows how you've lived. You think maybe there's some things that you've kept secret. Well, I just want to remind you that God's word is crystal clear. That there's nothing that is hidden before him. And yet he says, he chose us first. You didn't go looking for him before he chose. He chose us in him. The first thing is the initial work of God is to choose. The second thing is the context of that choice. He chose us in him. That's how he wants to relate to every one of us. So the invitation is to come and discover my knowledge of you. Come and experience my relationship with you. I've made a way for you to be with me through my son. The in him of what he chooses. And so, first of all, that blessing is, a, is initial. Secondly, the context is so important that he's choosing us in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And now the extent of it or how intentional it is before the foundation of the world. Now, you all, that, that's very, very hard for me to get my head around because just like you, I live in time. And so I remember when I could care less about spiritual things. I remember all those events of not being chosen, of experiencing life, what was happening in my nuclear family with, you know, my story with my mom and my dad and my brother and my sister and everything that was going on with that. And so to get back way before that and to think that before the foundation of the earth was ever laid, before he spoke creation into being, he was choosing you. He was choosing us in him. Now, if that's not an intentional God who's trying to knock on the door of every one of our hearts and say, listen up, I want a relationship with you. I want you to know me. And that relationship is as intentional as it can be because it started before, before, the foundation of the earth was laid. That's an intentional God that wants us to be in relationship. Now, the second part about this us, I've been speaking very personally to each one of you because I believe that's the way it is. He knows us. We're going to look at how Jesus communicated with Peter very, very specifically. But church family, the longer I go, and I've been at this a little bit, the longer I go, the more I cherish 
the us-ness of the body of Christ. And so the uniqueness. I was in Boston. I got to be around two churches that are trying to do significant things that are very, very different from us. I mean, I'm here with you today in 12th Avenue. But that was a kind of a new Anglican church. They dressed different, a uh, different kind of worship that they had. But I want you to know I could sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in Boston, Massachusetts, right downtown with, guess what numbers on their building? 1654 is on the brick that's in the corner of that old, old church. It was rebuilt in the 19, early 1900s. But that community of faith has been there since 1600s. And I was just excited to think about what is God doing through that community to communicate who he is in Boston, Massachusetts. I get encouraged about the intentionality of a God who, first of all, wants to know you personally, but then does not make mistakes. He knows that you are right now in Emporia, Kansas for some reason. Just a whole little jet. Little Jets in Emporia, Kansas, because he's born here, because his mom and dad were here. And so he's got a life story that's starting right here in Emporia, Kansas, and God's intentionality of community that we live in. And so that intentionality before the foundation of the earth was laid, he chose us in that context of being in him. And then we get another before. Because not only is the intention, he has a goal. The other before is that he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. This choosing has a purpose. And that purpose is that he wants a people, first of all, the word holy. You know, one of the crazy things about doing the work that I do is I get to be in church work is I deal with a vocabulary that is not a common vocabulary. Uh, you know what happened yesterday? I've got grandkids, so we took our grandkids swimming. One of my granddaughters came up to me and says, my, my name is an African name, I'm Babu. Babu, Grandpa, Grandpa, guess what? Two girls are over there talking about curse words. They're talking about what can they say, how many curse words can they use, and one little girl says, I, can't, I, I just don't, my... My parents don't want me to use those kind of curse words. And then she said the curse word that they were talking about, and the curse word was, oh, my God. And so some little kid's been talked to about saying, oh, my God. And I believe that has to do with what we live our lives with a broken spirit where we're not giving glory to God. We're taking God's name and we're using it in a different way. Oh my God, is a great prayer. I mean, I trust many of you in this room have said those three words. And you've said them to him. And you've said them with a meaning and, a, and an intentionality of calling upon, Oh my God. Oh my Father. That's not a curse word. It's the intentionality that we have. And so the word is holy. And what holy means... I believe holy means set apart for a special use. That God wants you to have his fingerprints all over you to live a life that is set apart and different because of who he is in you. A holy life. 
Well, we know the Ten Commandments. See, a lot of people just jump right to that. Oh, holy, you've got to do the ten things. Yes, he's, told, he's made it crystal clear. In the Old Testament, we know how we're supposed to live. And we discover that law helps us discover, ooh, I don't live up to what you want. And it's very tempting to pull away from a heavenly father that's reaching out. And he says, no, no, no. I want you to be holy and blameless. Now, again, grandkids' story. First night, we're down in the basement, and Priscilla, she's a, she's a good grandma. She's a good grandma. She plans all these things. So the kids are down there doing crafts, and they've got one of her little plastic tri-squares. Now, I know tri-square from shop or when I was a draftsman trying, you know, it's a, a T-square, a tri-square. It's broken. Somebody broke it. And so Priscilla at breakfast, she comes up, hey, who broke my tri-square? How come, who broke it? Well, guess what happened in the room? Nobody broke it. <laughs> They're blaming each other. There, there is blame going on. But you know what? We have a heavenly father who wants to come alongside every one of us and to say, yes, you're guilty. I think I, it's Eliza who broke it. Yes, little Eliza, a little five-year-old. Yes, Eliza, when you were upset at it and you were twisting it, it did snap. Yes, Eliza, you're guilty, but I want you to be guiltless because of what I've done to take away the penalty and the mark of that guilt. And so as Paul is locked up in a prison cell thinking about who God is, he said, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I see Paul's closing his eyes and just looking at what it's going to be like to be in the presence of God the Father as a person who was set aside to be used and one whose sin has been forgiven. And that, that will change your life. If we ever begin to receive and then continue to live in the reality of being chosen and redeemed and set aside as his, we're going to be different people. And so I, it'd be really weird if I do this, but I'd like to be up there on the roof and say, hey, Emporia, Kansas, guess what? I want you to know something. There's a community of people that lives among you that are a bit unusual. They live different because they know somebody who's said, I love you and I want you for my use, my holy use. And by the way, I'm forgiving all the things that you've done wrong. You don't have blame coming from me. I have taken that away because I love you. Now, I want you to know if Emporia, Kansas could hear that, there's going to be people who say, you know, I wish I want in on that. Gosh, is that really true? Can, can that be reality in my life? And as I said before, I believe that that message is individual, but church family, I believe that's a corporate message, that he wants a community of people to be set aside for his purposes because of all the uniqueness of this, this very diverse group of people that he knows you and loves you, but he's got you in this community for a reason. And one of those reasons is that he wants to set you aside and use you to touch broken world 
And he tells us, don't be like the world, but guess what? I'm going to call you into it. You are going to be lambs among wolves. That little broken world out there, sometimes they're not very nice. But yet, you know, when Jesus said, lambs among wolves, now you rancher people, uh, I raise sheep. When you get wolves around lambs, guess where the lambs usually are? It's not among. Where is it? In. Lambs in wolves. But Jesus, crystal clear, I want you as lambs among the wolves. We've got a protector that he can take care of you. And so church family, let's, it's sometimes really, it gets, it gets hard out there. It gets tiring living in the broken world. And we need to get together and we need to encourage each other. But I want to remind us that I believe that God's outward focus that he wants through you on Monday morning, Monday through Saturday, in that world, that neighborhood, that family, that place you live, do it together a little bit. The community that he's got here that he wants to touch this city with and beyond. Pomona. And by the way, I was going to mention Mexico. Today, we've got church family in Mexico making a difference. And so, it's just great. I, it's his glory. It's what he's up to. And so, I want to close with a story. Before we get to see Jesus do this. You know, it's one thing. I, I love Paul. I, it's nice to be sitting here and just listening to his heart bubble up in the prison cell where we get the longest sentence. But let's go back in time a little bit. Let's go back to Jesus. And watch how Jesus does the very thing that Paul says he does. Because in John chapter 21, there is a great event that helps me see and experience how Jesus chooses people and sets them aside. John chapter 21 starts where Peter calls seven other disciples and says, let's go north and go back to fish on the Sea of Galilee. They were in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was executed. He was buried. He was resurrected from the dead. Peter got to see that. But guess what? It's not enough. The resurrection didn't transform Peter enough yet to where he wanted to, the 11 to go. He took the seven and they go off north and leave the other guys back there. And they go up and they do something that Peter knows how to do. Peter remembers what it is to be a fisherman. And let's not forget what it, the last thing Peter did when Jesus was alive before the crucifixion was deny him three times. And he denied him bad enough, it says that he cursed his name. You know, he, he meant it. I don't know that man, don't you talk to me about that. That kind of a hard heart that Peter discovered, he saw it come out of him. And now Jesus is back from the dead, he's resurrected, he's been with Peter, and yet it's not enough. Peter goes north. And he goes fishing. And they're on the lake all night long. And they catch nothing. And so early in the morning, as the sun just is coming up, Jesus is about 100 yards from the men out on the lake. And he calls out to them. He says, do you have any fish? And they say, we don't, we don't have anything. We fished all night. We don't have a thing. And Jesus says to them, throw your net out on the other side, on the right side of the boat. And as they throw that net out, and as that net settles into the water, 154 fish 
hit that net. And as those disciples, especially John, as they feel that pull on that net, John cries out, it's the Lord. You see, John's seeing with his fingertips. He's been here before. Jesus had done this one other time where he told him, put the net out and fish come into the net. John remembers the feel of that. And he said, I've been here before. That is Jesus. And Peter puts on his outer coat and he jumps in the water and he goes to Jesus. And when he gets there, guess what he finds? Finds three things. First of all, he finds a, a bed of coals. He finds fish. They've got 150 fish over here. And Jesus was asking for fish, but he's already got fish cooking. And he's got bread. Now, church family, let me ask you. What do you think happened that night? Do you think that Jesus walked up to the edge of the water about 5 o'clock and said, fire? And he could do that. Click his fingers. Fire. He said, fish. And he says, bread. And there it is. Fire, fish, and bread. He could do that. But you know what I believe? I believe Jesus got there about 3 o'clock in the morning, and he found the fish, and he got the bread, and he came, and here's why I like this story so well. I lived in Africa. I know what fire means. You know how long it takes you to get a fire to cook, cook fish? About an hour. You've got to get the twigs. You've got to get the wood. You've got to get, and you make the fire. You lay it. And that's why Africans are so social. To have lunch, to have a cup of tea is going to take us about an hour to get the fire ready to do the work that we need to do. Americans, we don't. We get a microwave. But Jesus came and intentionally sought Peter. And so when Peter shows up and finds fire and bread and fish already intentionally laid, there's something going on. And then Jesus begins that very, very important thing. Peter, do you love me? Our church family, I've been asked that question. I've been asked that in my own heart where, are you, do you believe it? Are you serious with me? Do you, really, do you really want to walk with me, John? I know your name's not on that list, but I know you. John, I, I've got plans for you that you don't know. Will you walk with me? You see, that's what Jesus is asking Peter. So that intentionality that was with God before the foundation of the earth was laid is still right there with Peter. He's very intentional as he talks to Peter. And he's intentional in Peter's context. Peter's back in the world that he knows, and that's where Jesus wants to meet him. And he's intentional with his goal. You see, as Jesus comes to Peter... The one who failed him the worst is now saying, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Peter, I want to use you. You don't know what that means, Peter. But I want to use you to take care, feed, encourage, lead this new community of people that are going to discover who I am. Will you feed my sheep? So church family, you're a chosen bunch. Now, that's kind of special because guess what? We know each other. I think one of the, the things about being in a church family is we've got to re receive the reality that God's at work in other people where we don't see it. He says, I choose. 
That's his choice, not yours. You see, we don't get it. We don't get it. We don't get that opportunity. He does. He's the one who's choosing. And he's the one who's at work in hearts to get people to be holy and blameless. And we've got to let him do his work. His Holy Spirit's at work at that. And so I would think part of our responsibility of living in a chosen community is understanding people are all across the spectrum of where they are in their relationship with him. And so today, as we close, that chose, he chose us, and that walking worthy. Remember I said that way back when we looked at Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, I want you to live a life that's in balance. Here's what God has done. I want you to walk like that's a reality. We walk in balance with what God's done. If God's doing the choosing around here, are we able to walk with each other? Can we pray for one another? Can we treat each other with humility? Can we treat each other with gentleness? And can we treat each other with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain that fruit, that unity of the Spirit He's wanting to do in us? That's the challenge for today. Let me lead us a word of prayer, and then we'll have a benediction. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, in love, even as you chose us in your Son, in Him, that we would be holy and blameless. We would be set aside for your purposes. We would not have blame because of the things that we've done wrong. Father, I pray that you would help us get our hearts more and more around that reality. Father, we thank you that you gave your son, the Lord, the Lord Jesus. You sent him not to judge the world, but redeem the world. You came to seek and to save people that were far, far from you. And Father, I pray that you would continue to do that individually, and I pray that you would use this, your family, these people here in Emporia, Kansas, for your glory. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You all stand. Today, to close our time, I found Isaiah 12, 4. It's a good verse for us to go out and start our week. Here's what the prophet Isaiah would remind us. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among all the peoples, and proclaim his name as the exalted one. You all go and be the church. Have a good Sunday.